0: What is going on, all you constant listeners out there? It's a multiverse. You are listening to the Earth 16 Comics Wire podcast. I am your host, Brian, from Earth 16, and in this episode, I'm going to be speaking with David Pepost, Pe- um, the creator of the Oz, um, which is a comic based in that's based on the Wizard of Oz, and takes place in a war torn version of that fantasy land. You definitely don't want to miss this, folks. <laughs> What is going on all you out there in the multiverse i hope you're all are doing very well i've been doing pretty good and actually it's, for me it's been it's been pretty productive as of late you know i've been getting i've been doing a lot of exercise i've been eating healthy so i feel pretty good actually for the most part especially as this year is going to come you know it's coming to a close not too you know not too long from now Been doing a lot of projects on the side as well um i've actually uh, for those of you who follow me on twitter you would probably know that i've recently joined the daily planet as a contributing writer um so that's that's really fun i mean to tribute to the fairy paper that superman or clark kent and Lois lane write for is just really awesome it's it's like it's a dream come true for me and just to be a part of that project is just really awesome especially since i'm a superman fan and i love journalism I love writing, so it's just it's it's a blast. And it's one of the best things to ever come out of the summer, and it's funny. I actually got uh, I had I got the opportunity to join around my birthday, so it was like a real birthday present for me. So thank you to the Daily Planet, and if you want to look at my work, you, you can definitely go over to the website, which is thedailyplanetdc.com. It has a lot of cool articles too. Um, I put up several articles, one on where I reviewed. I'm um, Superman. May have tomorrow, and I put in another article about how the seven Waynes from Christopher Priest's run on Deathstroke are very similar to the three Jokers. And this is, this is more more good articles on here too. Um, you should definitely check that website. I recommend that you do. Very good writing. Very awesome articles. So, having said that, um, I'm gonna this podcast, um, this segment actually, this episode, um, is based on the graphic novel The O.Z., um, which is by David Post, um, who used to be a writer for DC. He was um, a crime reporter. At, um, and he wrote a pretty good story. And the story, the comic book, is about, it's a different take, or, or a whole new take on The Wizard of Oz. And the synopsis reads like this. Decades ago, when the young girl defeated the Wicked Witch of the West, she said farewell to the mag- magical land of Oz. But unwittingly plunged the country into a vicious power vacuum leading to years of brutal civil war but a generation later the name of dorothy Gale lives on and her granddaughter an iraq war veteran grappling with disillusionment and ptsd yet when a tornado strikes dorothy's quiet kansas town the former soldier finds herself in finds herself in the war-torn battlefield known as the oz um forced to navigate warring factions led by the tin soldier, the scarecrow and the courageous lion. Dorothy must come to terms with her legacy and her past if she ever hopes to bring the peace to the occupied zone. And actually um if you really want to if you want to um get this comic you can right now on the Kickstarter. Um you, you still have 10 more days to go um to purchase this comic. I I'm I'm backing it myself. I think it's really cool. And and again, this is a really interesting take on the on the Wizard of Oz, a story that was written by um, Frank L. Frank Baum. And me and David Pepos, we actually had a really great conversation in this up in this segment in this episode. We talked about like how um, the just pretty much the whole idea behind the comic and how it was influenced by his experience, his experiences as a crime reporter, and so much more and david pet like i said he's been he's been known to he's been almost all around like he's an intern at dc comics um he's also written other comics as well including um several other comics including spencer and Locke, um which i'm actually going to take a look at as well that's another interesting comic i'm looking at reading and also um coming to the chapel so really interesting comics really um awesome written comics and so yeah really interesting comics and interesting stories that he written and that i'm very i'm looking very much forward to reading and reviewing so having said that let's get into the segment um and my interview with david pepos on the oz
1: What's going on everyone out there in the multiverse? You're listening or you're actually watching the Earth Sixteen Comics Wire podcast on Twitch and YouTube. I am your host, Brian from Earth Sixteen, and with me I have um the creator of the comic book Oz or the um Oz number no. one, a fantasy classical reimagined for comics. Actually it's not really a title, isn't it? <laughs> or it's just the Oz.
2: Uh, yeah, it's the it's the it's it's the O Z. The OZ and, uh, I- yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm David Pepos. For those who, who don't know me, uh, I, I'm the writer of Spencer and Locke, Spencer and Locke 2, and going to the chapel over at Action Lab. And yeah, I'm so excited to talk about my new Kickstarter project, the OZ, which uh, we are just at the halfway point of our of our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we got two more weeks left, uh, and I'm very excited to, uh, to see this uh, project through to the finish line.
1: That is awesome, and I I have to tell you when I um, when I read the um, preview for the um, comic, it was really exciting. Um, it was a it, it looked it looked really cool. I mean, I like Thank the you. art, and yeah, you're welcome. And the writing, and we're gonna get into that in, in just a few. Um, sure. First, um, do you want um, the people to um, watch the trailer for um, this awesome comic? Sure. I think sure. I was able to find? Let's see if I can bring it up here. Ah, there we go. Tin man looking totally cool there. There it goes. <laughs>
2: of Mad Max or Lord of the Rings, then let me introduce you to your new favorite book, The OZ, our brand new comics project here on Kickstarter. I'm David Pepos, the Ringo Award-nominated writer of Spencer and Locke, Going to the Chapel, and the upcoming Grand Theft Astro. And whether you're new to my work or returning as a fan, I'm excited to show you what our team has in store with The OZ. The OZ is an epic fantasy war story that reimagines the classic mythology of The Wizard of Oz and remixes it through the battle-scarred lens of Mad Max Fury Road, The Old Guard, and The Sheriff of Babylon. Taking place a generation after Dorothy Gale and her friends defeated the Wicked Witch and liberated the Land of Oz, the OZ follows Dorothy's granddaughter, a disillusioned Iraq war veteran who shares her name and struggles to find purpose as she cares for her ailing grandmother in Liberty, Kansas. Battling trauma and depression from her time overseas, this world-weary soldier has spent years hearing her grandmother's tall tales of a magical world on the other side of the rainbow. But when Dorothy is dragged away one night by a runaway tornado, she finds herself stranded in the war-torn land of Oz. After decades of brutal civil war following the Wicked Witch's death, Dorothy must navigate the factions left by her grandmother's former friends. The Tin Soldier, The Courageous Lion, and The Scarecrow. Glad you I'm glad you dig survive it. survive the horrors of the Occupy it, it looks really center, cool. Or as the locals call it. And, and I, it. I promise you, you've only so seen The Tip of the Iceberg. So we're uh, you, know we. backers, uh, for your help in funding our double-sized first issue. I've worked in, 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 in uh, traditional journals and will will commerce journals and publicity, so I, I, I know the view. value of a good reveal. And any additional money will go towards our second issue. We've also got some exciting rewards for our backers. Just wait, you ain't seen nothing yet original artwork from series artist Ruben Rojas, a chance to get drawn into the book, and plenty of behind the scenes material as well. You may think you know the story of Oz, but this is the story of what comes next. So join us today as we drop you into the trenches of the O.Z.
1: Man, that, that that I'm telling you, man, that that whole story and the art itself looks epic. I mean, it's just seeing like the castle of like Oz or just Oz in general, and like it's almost like yeah, just seeing that look like a total, total war zone. It's like wow, man, like that's like it's not my grandma's Wizard of Oz, that's for sure.
2: Nope, that's absolutely. You know, f- for for those who, who want to know about uh, the Oz, it's kind of like what if Mad Max and the Heart Locker took place in the Wizard of Oz. So we've recontextualized Dorothy Gale killing the Wicked Witch of the West as something like a a botched regime change. And so when she clicked her heels together and went back home to Kansas, she inadvertently left Oz in a power vacuum that would lead to years of brutal civil war. And so the OZ picks up a generation later with Dorothy's granddaughter and namesake, who is a a disillusioned Iraq war veteran. She's kind of come back home from her time overseas with some real pain, some real scars, some trauma. And she's trying to just put the pieces of her life back together. Uh, But when a tornado strikes her small town in Kansas, this new Dorothy finds herself trapped in the war-torn land of Oz. So she's going to have to navigate her past and her grandmother's legacy, not to mention navigating her grandmother's former friends if she hopes to survive the occupied zone, or as the locals call it, the O.Z. Wow. And I
1: really like the whole concept of, like... It's still Dorothy um I mean it's a different Dorothy Gale obviously though it's more like a it's more like it's, it, it, if Dorothy was a soldier and cuz like the first right. Dorothy was like you know she was very peaceful she was a a young girl growing up in the great depression but this very one innocent. Yeah, very innocent but this one has seen like her share of crap um like yes. any other soldier has seen and who's yeah. been overseas and fought overseas like they've had to deal deal with seeing their brothers and sisters in arms die and probably other crazy stuff too that you would, you could even, you can not even possibly imagine.
2: Yeah. Like, and yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those things that uh, we wanted to make sure that, you know, our, our, our lead character was proactive and could take care of herself. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, by virtue of having this be a war story, I thought it was very important to have a soldier at the center of it all. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I was a newspaper reporter, I covered a lot of, uh, uh, I covered things like um, the, the local mental health beat, the, the local yes. uh, veterans beats. And so I talked with a lot of soldiers coming back from their time overseas and, and sort of the challenges they were facing, reintegrating. Uh, you know back into society particularly in an area that was already kind of economically depressed and so hearing about their hypervigilance and sort of those intrusive thoughts that would come in out of nowhere that would kind of bring them back to these traumatic periods or, um, you know the thing that really struck out stood out to me was just the sense of isolation and alienation just the fact that they uh, you know had such trouble articulating how they were feeling and and where they had come from and so that was something that I think really stood out to me and, and really it went on to affect a lot of the work that I do, uh, which which always tends to ex- explore trauma. Um, I think uh, beyond that, I was really fortunate. You know, I- I've never served, but I-, I have friends who have. And so uh, one of my buddies from college uh, uh, wound up becoming a combat medic in Afghanistan. And so we talked a lot uh, in the development of this, um, you know, some of it just being kind of, uh, you know, Am I using the right lingo here uh, to sort of broader concepts like you know mm-hmm. how did things spiral out of control? How why are we why have we been there for for twenty years? Um, and those sort of big picture conversations really uh, played a big role in shaping the overall trajectory uh, of this book.
1: Wow, that's you must have put a lot of research into this too because like um, as you. I don't know if you know this, though, but I went to school. Um, yeah, I went to school for creative writing um, and wanted to become a journalist. And mm-hmm. one of the things I've done, um, I did a project for. It was like an assignment under my journalism professor, um, who was in, She was actually an LA Times reporter um, named Claire Hoffman. Really cool. She mm-hmm. was really awesome, and she had us. Um, she had yes. us like interview people on the street. And one particular, one particular assignment I do re- remember was interviewing this prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um, this dude who went to prison, and I went. Actually, went to the jail too um, in downtown Riverside. Real crazy, mm-hmm. and just how he um, he told he told me a story of like what brought him to commit his crime. So basically, what happened was just that he um, he basically got into a fight with someone one day in front of a in front of a Jack in the Box, and you know, long story short, he killed the person who he fought, and the person was in a coma. Then all of a sudden, he just died, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it got even crazier too, because the dude obviously ran away, you know, not wanting to get caught. So for him, he was, he was just, you know, police didn't catch him until he was at his brother's wedding and he got arrested when his brother was getting married, like right there. And it was just like, wow, you know, and, you know, this, you know, the, when you mentioned, like, you were talking to your, you know, when you were talking to veterans for your um, reporting and all that, and especially with issues with mental health, I mean, that really was like, yeah, that, that's what it kind of reminded me of. And just how these stories kind of struck, struck a chord with people.
2: Yeah, you know? well, I consider, you know, trauma is something that I think there's, there's a lot of dramatic and, and, and narrative uh, uh, potential to that. And I think, uh, you know, we've all been shaped by trauma in our own ways, um, whether oh, yeah. it's, you know, in, in, in sort of uh, harder books like Spencer and Locke or books more light on its feet, like going to the chapel. I'm always exploring trauma, because I consider that, you know, our traumas are kind of the, the ongoing themes of our lives. They're always the things that we're going to come back to and the things we're always going to confront. And having a character be able to, to to stare that in the face and 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 try to move past that, I think that's something that's really inspiring and cathartic for people. And I think, uh, you know, first for for books like the OZ, starting at it with, with darker source material, that makes that redemptive arc shine that much more brightly in contrast. So, uh, you know, for me, I I never want to tell my stories just for shock value's sake. I don't think that's a way to really build, to sustain an audience. Um, I think the best way to to do it is you got to be compassionate and empathetic and 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 respectful of your characters because ultimately you're really being compassionate and empathetic and respectful to your readers uh people who do live you know with 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 mental illness or ptsd or trauma um and so for for me i've never wanted i've always tried to make it a point that we never we never make that a punchline we never make that a joke um and i think by virtue by virtue of trying to kind of respect our, our readers and our audiences, um, I think we've we've picked up a very devoted and passionate fan base.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I totally see that on the Kickstarter, too. Um, for all you constant viewers who are watching the stream, you do see that, um, and constant listeners who are listening, too, um, on the Kickstarter right now, um, so far it has like about 911 backers and counting. And... Yep. Um, you've already pledged $33,993. Um, yeah. that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, 6000 Yeah,
2: 6, <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't be more blown away. I couldn't be more grateful. Um, You know, I, I, I feel, I've always felt that I, I have some of the best readers in comics. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Spencer and Locke and, and Spencer and Locke, too, and going to the chapel. Um, you know, they've always had a really devoted fan base. And so I think, you know, we've been able to to bring them to the OZ. I think we've also been able to introduce ourselves to the Kickstarter community, which is just as passionate and vocal uh, for, for projects on that platform. And for me, that's really the reason I did Kickstarter in the first place is that there are people who primarily buy their books at comic shops, or primarily buy their books on Amazon, or primarily books, buy their books at conventions. And I realized that there were people who primarily bought their books on crowdfunding. And that I had done no outreach to that community, and so uh, you know I'm I I'm really uh, i really touched that uh, you know that that so many people have come together to really lift our book up. We've had our our readers, we've had retailers, we've had the press, we've had comics creators, uh, people like Scott Snyder and Gail Simone and Mark Russell and Kevin yeah. Eastman have all kind of come together to really kind of lift us up, and uh, it, it really means the world to me. Uh, you know, I've been kind of on the outskirts for a long time. Um, you know, my my first big break in the industry was in two thousand and eight. I was a DC Comics intern, and you know, I, oh, I wow. wrote I, I wrote at Newsrama for about a decade after that. Um, you spend your whole life loving comics, and experiences like this, comics get to love you back. And um, you know, oh, yeah. it's 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 something I'll I'll, I'll certainly uh, hold on to for the rest of my career.
1: Yeah, that's, that's one of the cool things about comics is why I continue to tell a lot of people It's just that comics, it, it can be just as serious of a medium as a novel, as a piece of poetry, sure, as theater, as film. And even to this day, I, I don't think, you know, I think, you know, it's barely even scratched the surface because people don't really, some people don't understand how serious it can actually get, especially with the fact that, you know, you know, be I mean, with the fact that you have these amazing pictures, and also the, of course, the writing too. Yeah. Uh, it's The interplay between words and images, like Will Eisner always said, and I mean, I think people are just starting to get it right now. I mean, especially like with the Oz, mm-hmm. um, I feel like so many people, like you, I think, like you mentioned before, can relate to this version of Dorothy Gale. She's like a Dorothy Gale of our generation. Yeah. And I think too, like you know, the interaction between, from what I've seen in the preview, the interaction between the original Dorothy. And this Dorothy was like a passing of the torch, almost. Sure. I think it's sort of like it's coming full circle too, where you had the Dorothy of the Great Depression, but mm-hmm. then you have the Dorothy of the 21st century. So I kind of felt I like those stories where there's a meeting of the generations. It kind of reminds yeah. me of Tom King's um, sure. Superman Up Up in a way, where Sergeant Rock meets mm-hmm. you know Superman, and it kind of reminded me of the stories that my grandma told me about my granddad fighting in World War II in the Battle mm-hmm. of the Bulge. Mm-hmm. So seeing Sergeant Rock carry, you know, Superman was kind of like, I kind of imagine that as my granddad saying hello to me or my grandma even, you know, saying yeah. hello to me and just the meeting of the generations and how, you know, later on after, at toward the end of the comic, um, Superman thanks Sergeant Rock for saving the world and, you know, fighting for true justice in the American way. So that's what I feel like the story is like too. It's just, it's like a, it's like you know the, our present, you know, saying hello to the past again, in a sense. Yeah,
2: it's it's very much a story about legacy. Um, you know, yeah. I uh, I uh, it, you know, so much of what Dorothy is going to be looking at is you know, what's the morality of war? You know, how do you make a just decision when every choice you make can wind up with someone dead? And I think. You know, she sees her grandmother, even though Grandma Dorothy, in many ways, is the whole reason the Oz is as bad a shape as it is. Yeah. Um. She's she sees – I mean, Grandma Dorothy had no idea. She was just a kid. Yeah. You know, she she, know she, any, yeah. she literally didn't. She didn't know any better. Which you know, I mean, that 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 can be a a a, a way to look at U.S. interventionism in in sort of the the most generous possible sense. Um. <clears throat> But I think you know she looks to her grandmother as the one who taught her everything worth knowing, and so at the same time she's kind of like you know I see I saw my grandmother as this idealized figure, and yet we've now we've been drawn through the war and the muck. Is it ever possible to get those ideals back? Um, you know, assuming those ideals were even what we thought they were in the first place. Um, and so yeah, I I, I think um, this story is very much about legacy. And how things have changed over the years, and I think that's been kind of the most fun part about writing the Oz for me is taking something familiar and casting it in a, in a whole new light.
1: Yeah, it's really awesome because you know, I mean, especially with you know Dorothy, you know, I mean, she's pretty much an important character, especially the original Dorothy, you know, Grandma Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, with the grandma, the whole thing about Grandma Dorothy is just that you know, especially in the Wizard of Oz she all she wanted to do was just go home back to kansas and you know just click on the red slippers and you know but i mean especially when you mentioned the u.s intervention and especially how grandma dorothy even kind of represents that and dorothy also it comes to show that the road to hell is paved with good intentions i think mm-hmm. that's pretty much has been the theme a whole lot with um with some of, with some of the um with what's Parts of history in which we try to, you know, for instance, contain communism by going off to Vietnam or, you know, Iraq or the Middle East. You know, I mean, so many people say that you know we're fighting for we're fighting for a good cause, but then sometimes too, mm-hmm. um, there are several events that kind of question those intentions or question the factors behind those intentions. I would say yeah like, you know some you hear some people say that oh they're they're not really they're fighting for the freedom they're fighting for the oil they're they're fighting for something else completely you know and it's just it's it's really interesting how you know, especially this comic kind of represents all that
2: yeah i mean you know i think i think at, at the end of the day you know um i think people you know with boots on the ground you know that they're, they're looking to do the right thing um oh, and yeah. I, I, I think i think but it, it can be very complicated you know, uh, you know, uh, you have to make a lot of snap decisions in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, sometimes wires get crossed. Sometimes, sometimes people get twisted. And um, I think, I think, you know, it when it comes to to war, um, th- there's really no clean cut heroes and villains. Um, I think, I think even even people fighting for for what's considered the greater good, like you said, there can be a lot of fallout to those good intentions and
1: Absolutely.
2: and there can be a lot of compromises that are made along the way a lot of a lot of friends and lives lost and you know that's something that dorothy will be kind of asking herself a lot is is there a way to end that cycle um you know is there another way a better way of doing this and um, that's something she'll certainly have to grapple with uh, over the course of of this this series
1: Right. And um, speaking of the character of Dorothy, I feel like um, in addition to her, you know, in addition to getting the torch passed to her by Grandma Dorothy, I feel like she has much of a heavy burden right now than she did when she was fighting overseas. Yeah. with the va- power vacuum that her grandmother unintentionally and, you know, unintentionally left over.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think the difference between Dorothy being in Iraq and Afghanistan versus being in the OZ, um, she was one set of boots of many. Uh, you know, in, in in the Middle East, whereas in the Land of Oz, by virtue of who her grandmother was, um, there's this uncomfortable burden of leadership that's thrust upon her. Um, everybody's looking to Dorothy for answers, and so I think that that only sort of makes these moral quandaries more acute. Um, you know, she's kind of like, okay, like I I need to figure out like it's not just my life on the line; it's 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 a whole world. And in certain ways, I think the Oz kind of takes Dorothy back to her, some of her worst moments, and we'll dive into those as the series continues. Right. But on the other hand, I think deep down she sees it as a second chance to get things right, and um, and that'll be uh, you know that'll be a dynamic that she'll 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 really have to navigate in her time over there.
1: Absolutely. So um, I've read on. I've also did a little research, and I've read that you've um, like you to- mentioned earlier, you were a crime reporter you've interviewed a lot of people mm-hmm. um and you've gotten a lot of um inspiration from those interviews to write this some um, amazing comic um so how, what would they what were some of the things that um if you don't mind me asking that is what yeah, would be some sure. of the things that um some of these uh, people that you interviewed would tell you like was it anything that kind of like you know kind of gripped you emotionally or because like i know what i when i did um i'll admit when i was re- interviewing that prisoner i mean i felt all sorts of emotions just sadness sure. anger
2: absolutely you, you know? know i mean the 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 the, the thing that kind of always stood out to me was you know just this feeling of, of isolation um you know i feel like there were so many people who you know the infrastructure is not great anywhere in the u.s but in particular where i was in rural massachusetts you know it it, it, there are a lot of people who feel adrift and uh, i remember distinctly one guy that i interviewed he said that for him the place that he really found peace was swimming he would just like curl himself up into a ball and he would just like kind of just go underwater and he was like you know i i don't have to hear anything
1: wow Uh, it's like a solitude
2: yeah, you know, I just, I, you know, he, 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 that's, that's sort of where he felt safe, and uh, I remember that really, that really stood out to me, because, and, and I think, I think, the fact that people see people with PTSD and, and, and they automatically sort of go back to, well, what was the root moment of it all, Um, you know, they think of, 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 you know, IEDs or they think of people being shot and for me the thing that's more interesting and i think more important to for people to explore is it's it's what happens when people come back you know yeah what's what's their what's their lives looking like coming back and um you know we we only get kind of a glimpse at, at dorothy's civilian life um in the oz because we throw her into the thick of things fairly quickly but i think you know, we even say it in, in, in the preview is they spent so long preparing us for war that nobody taught us how to keep the peace. And I think that is something, you know, a lot of soldiers, that come back and they don't have that mission. Um, they don't have that, that, that structure in that direction. Um, and it can be very disorienting in the best of circumstances. And then when you throw in trauma and watching friends die and nearly dying yourself, um, you know, it it, it becomes it, it it can really shape you or reshape you, I should say. Yeah. And um, you know, it's sort of that that search for direction and purpose, uh, and that's something that that Dorothy's journey will certainly encapsulate.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's totally. You know, that that's yeah. especially with soldiers, I mean, I, I've I've understand that, um, or actually, I've even learned that. You know, a lot of soldiers come home not knowing exactly what to do, almost lost because they it almost feels like war is the only thing they actually knew. It's like they came back a different person. Like, you know, and the interesting thing is that, you know, I kind of thought about the um, show called, um I think it's called the Pacific from the same creators of Banner Brothers. I think Steven Spielberg sure. made it. Sure. And there was this one soldier in particular who was so horrified by war. Actually, you know, I think even in, in one scene, he was craving it. But when he returned home, you know, he was really horrified at shooting birds and his dad was like, you know, he was with his dad just chilling and they were shooting mm-hmm. birds and all of a sudden he just started to flip out. He, you know, he started to probably have PTSD. Sure. sure. And I think I've read somewhere too where the um, the real life version of that soldier actually took a bird watching because he didn't want to fire a gun anymore.
2: Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, a lot of people have very different reactions to trauma. And I think for me, that's kind of what makes makes it such an interesting place to play in narratively to explore um because yeah you know i mean you look at my my first book spencer and Locke, which is um you know about uh someone who who had such a horrific abusive upbringing that their only solution was to invent their own best friend
1: wow that Uh sounds like a really cool you know i mean i might even take a look at spencer and Locke. it looks really interesting you should
2: you should it's uh what if calvin and Oh, I was gonna say, it's what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? So, yeah,
1: that's what. I mean that that too. I mean, I didn't even think of that. Actually, it's so funny.
2: Yeah, um, you know, or uh, my 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 latest book, Going to the Chapel, where uh, you know it's about a, a bride with cold feet, and um, you know, unfortunately, before she can say anything, her wedding's taken over by a gang of bank robbers, and so her solution is the only way to get out of this wedding is if I become the ringleader of my own hostage situation and escape with them and you know her trauma is based on that she was in love with somebody who vanished with no notice and it traumatized her so much that now that she's in a new relationship she's still having these feelings of trepidation all the way down to walking down the aisle and so um yeah i feel like i feel like everybody responds to their traumas in different ways i think often often we spend at least some part of our lives running away from it or trying to pretend it isn't there or trying to bury it. Um, it takes a lot to be able to confront and face these traumas, let alone sort of be able to, to either overcome them or, or or move past them in some way. Um, and I think that's something that we all share. And so Absolutely. being able, to, being able to, to have a character do that in, in, a, in a story it is kind of the ultimate form of wish fulfillment and i think it, it, it hits a lot of people where they live
1: oh yeah for sure and you know i mean especially with uh Going to the chapel. I mean, you kind of thought you kind of had me thinking about Runaway Bride, but sure, <laughs> more yeah, like absolutely. a heist version of Runaway Bride. If Julie exactly. Roberts' character decide to be like,
2: F yep. it," you know. I, I I used to refer to that book as Die Hard meets Runaway Bride. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's 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 exactly you're you're dead on. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I think we it all we're, we're all shaped a little differently uh, from our traumas. You know, we each have different buttons that get hit. Uh, and I think for me, that means that there's kind of like an unlimited amount of, of, of things to explore.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. In Spencer and Locke, though, I mean, I'm looking at the comic right now, um, looks really interesting. It's like, it's almost like Might of Happy, the Have Happy, um, sure. another comic um, based on a detective. I mean, it looks like the, he's a detective in Spencer and Locke. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know the fact that he has like this imaginary character or this imaginary, um I don't know if it's an imaginary or maybe it's like due to psychosis. Um,
2: you'll have to you have to read to find out. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, you know it's it's sort of we we kind of we kind of we walk the line of plausible deniability. um i I, I like to keep things a little ambiguous in, in that book. but uh, yeah, you know it's it's uh, it really is a story about trauma and friendship overcoming that trauma. Even one that's unorthodox is having to make one up on your own, um, and so yeah, I mean that that book—it was my first book. It's it's very it's very uh, special to me and very important to me, and um, I think that was the book that kind of set the foundation for uh, everything else that followed.
1: That's really awesome. Um, so like so, pretty much that's the theme of most of your comics. I would say is just like how to you know overcoming trauma or coming to grips with it and all that. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, um, you know. I think tonally, uh, you know. Of course, I, you're, I'm able to shift that, um, you know, from from things that are like heavy, like Spencer and Locke, to things that are more, uh, you know, light on their feet, like going to the chapel. But I think that's that's a theme that I that I regularly explore in my in my work. That's
1: awesome. So, um, so when so you pretty much got you so you pretty much interned um, at DC um, mm-hmm. around 2008.
2: Yeah, so I worked on uh, Final Crisis, Batman RIP, wow. uh, Green Lantern, Secret Origin. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a great experience. Um, you know, it really kind of helped me put a lot of uh, of names to faces uh, as far as as the the nuts and bolts of making a comic, because I think a lot of a lot of fans, you know, they'll know the writers and. Uh, maybe they'll know some of the the bigger name artists, but they probably won't know inkers or colors, oh, colors yeah. or letterers. Um, and so that's that's something that I really got drilled into me. Um, and just yeah, learning learning the the how to make a comic um, and the process that goes into that um, that was that was it was really helpful for me, and um, it made me kind of it gave me the confidence to say, okay, there are people that have careers in this business. And it was sort of the beginning of me letting myself believe that maybe I could be one of those people.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I understand too, that inkers, artists, I mean, everyone, you know, the colorists, they're just as important as the writer. I um, mean, that's one, that's one of the thing. That's one of the main things. that yeah, No, a I mean, it's miss you know, all that.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot you don't know and, unless you've you've tried it um you know so yeah I I just um I don't know I I I think yeah there's 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 so much I didn't know before I was an intern and then there was so much I didn't know after I was an intern and there's so much I didn't know being a reviewer for for as long as I was and some of it is just you, you you start to learn things and it still is academic until you put it into practice and i feel like every comic that i make i i i learn more and i become a little bit of a better creator um but it's all kind of a, a learning experience and the best way to learn is by doing
1: absolutely that's always the best way to learn um it's always by doing and when when you were at dc i wanted to a question that popped in my mind was this, time, who was your favorite artist or creator working you worked with? Like who was like one of your favorites? <sighs> um, let's
2: see. I mean, I, I, I did a lot of work uh, on, on Jeff Johns's work. Um, I, I, I do consider him a real influence on, 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 my work in terms of, uh, his intersection of characterization and, and metaphor. His Green
1: Lantern work uh, is awesome.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, I you know I like Morrison Grant Morrison um, you know one of my favorite was, writers you know working on on Batman RAP and and um, Final Crisis, um, I you know something that I was really proud of that I didn't know it at the time I just kind of found out later was um, I I was scanning in uh, JH Williams's original Batwoman art uh-huh.
1: uh,
2: for for uh, for that run on Detective Comics that that introduced Kate Kane um that was really cool um you know because they were working on that book so far in advance before they actually released it um i want to say it was at least a year maybe longer um who else uh, i was i was I was really happy to um i i got to you know do some work on uh on the legion um uh andy clark was or he was working on rebels i think is the book at the time oh, uh, rebels yeah yeah and um you know, without sort of going too far out of school, like, I'm really excited that I'm working on a book that he's doing covers on now. Um, So, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think. For me, it was also just, like, the editors that I worked with who I think, you know, were really supportive and they really kind of taught me a lot. People like Mike Martz and uh, Mike Siglane and uh, Matt Idelson and uh, 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 Nachi Marsham, Um, you know, Janelle Aslan, Uh, you know, all these people um, were really supportive of me. Uh, Adam Schlagman, I should add. Uh, you know, all these people who they've all gone on to do really cool things in the industry, and um, that's the thing about comics, and it's the thing that I always try to impress upon people: um, success in comics is not built in weeks and months; it's built on years. And so, oh. seeing you know, seeing kind of where the people I worked with have all now wound up. In, in, in the prevailing decade plus, um, you know, at the time I kept thinking, oh, you know, I was an intern, like, do, you know, does this mean anything? And I'm realizing now I was looking at it too narrowly. It's now that I've sort of built up my own career and seeing, you know, what they've done in their careers. Now things like are, 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 are intersecting in ways that I would have never expected 10 years ago.
1: And that's, and that's one of the, um, that's one of the things too, I feel, is just that your experiences do mean a lot. I mean, whether yeah. they're like, you know, whether they're seemingly, it's like, it's like the karate kid, um, wax on, wax off, you know, at first, right. you know, he didn't know, like, you know, it was like, why the freak am I doing wax on, wax off? And why am I washing cars? I'm supposed to learn how to fight. But then sure. in a sense, he was learning how to fight, you know? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. But, that's exactly, that's exactly it. I mean, you never know what experiences are going to wind up becoming survival skills later. Exactly. And, um, you know, my, my career has been uh, very much a zigzag. Um, and there have been lots of times where I've said, what does this how, how, What does this matter for anybody? And now I'm realizing, oh, okay. I know, you know, me writing, you know, news articles has absolutely affected the way I structure my work. Or me working in publicity, I know my way around a press release. Me working in comics journalism, I know the lay of the land. Um, you know, these are all things that, when I was doing it, I was kind of like, is this going to mean anything? And it's, <laughs> it's, it's all wound up meaning something down the road.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's how it is with most like places, like even these places where we work, you know, I feel it's just that even if it's like supposedly quote unquote, an unrelated job, like sometimes that element of that job can teach you a little bit, a uh, little bit something, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. whether how to conduct yourself better or how to be professional, it could be s- as simple as even how to like, you know, spot certain things. It's just
2: right, right. It you know, it's it's uh, yeah. The 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 uh, you know, I just I just watched uh Bill and Ted Face the Music this weekend, and they say oh, I heard uh, it was good. Yeah, there, there's a line that says uh, some things don't make sense until the end, and that's that's something that I think a lot of aspiring creators uh, uh should take to heart.
1: I'm gonna steal that if that's okay.
2: <laughs> something that yeah, makes sense i i i stole it from them so feel free
1: until the end that's hey that that's a good piece of philosophy um especially then then it's from a keanu reeves movie too i mean he does a lot of um yeah keanu reeves is he he's something i mean he's a really cool actor and i hope to meet him one day i mean just you can put keanu reeves in anything and i heard he's actually making his own comic too yeah Um,
2: they just launched on kickstarter today so uh yeah i was gonna say so you can check out Berserker and then you can uh, order the O Z after that.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, you can even put you know, imagine putting Keanu Reeves in a story like this. I mean, dude.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I wouldn't say no. Um, you know, uh, Make uh, him the Wizard Keanu of
1: Oz will, or something. You know, if you
2: you know, if he wants to be uh if he, I'm wants, just joking. If he wants to read, if he wants to be the, uh, the the tin soldier, I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to that.
1: Yeah, right? Or yeah, you know, I mean because like you know, this is how this is how versatile. I mean, I think you know Keanu Reeves, in my opinion, is the most creative actor there is because you can put him in anything, and you know, he he just looks, you know, it, it fits. It's like he's like a velvet glove almost.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a that's a good way to look at it.
1: Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think that's how it is with creativity. I feel like with creativity, um, you know, it's you know, creativity teaches us how to be flexible. In any situation, mm-hmm. in any medium or in any, you know, like journalism or podcasting or comics or even pro wrestling. Um, I'm a huge wrestling fan. I've I've seen it with um, uh, companies like AEW who are pushing the envelope um, with their creativity um, and just being, you know, just being fluid, not being so confined or, you know, so rigid, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, I, you know. Yeah, I, I agree.
1: And I feel like with um with you know it's with, with um, you know the Oz especially it's it's a whole, it's a very original, it's a, it's a very familiar story though, but it's told like with a with a 21st century twist and also, with um something that we all know about that we evolve um watch the news on too from time to time, and the real crazy thing is too, it's just that. I mean, even up till now, I mean, I think the war in the Middle East is kinda still going on in a sense.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I mean that's that's exactly it. I mean, and, and that's something that's something we, we certainly explore is, you know, is there a way is there a way to ever escape that cycle? Is there a way to escape
1: that cycle? And also too, it's like you you know, it kinda puts the question too, like why were we there in the first place? You know, I mean some people say you know, oh, it's because the terrorists attacked the twin towers and all that, though. But then some people are saying, well, no, it's the oil, or you know, they come up with these different, you know, with these sure. mixed up reasons. And I even even reminds me of a, of a film I saw about Sarah Palin, um, starring Julianne Moore. She played Sarah Palin, and then there was this, you know. They were prepping her for a debate, and they asked her the question, you know, as a mock, you know, a mock question saying that, why did we go off to the Middle East to fight? And she said that it had something to do with, like, you know, the terrorists in 9-11, and they just looked at her like, huh, you know? Yeah. It was a real, it was a real, to me, it was kind of a real sad scene, because, you know, I mean... You know, I mean, I feel like you don't have to be a fan of Sarah panel to realize that, you know, it looks like she was kind of, it seemed like she was kind of set up for failure in a sense to kind of look bad or kind of get picked on.
2: And sure, it it was, it was, it was a weird choice. Uh, it was a weird choice,
1: yeah. I mean, not to get political, obviously, though, but, you know, it goes back to Oz where, you know, Dorothy, you know, she didn't know that she was gonna you know, her actions were gonna cause like a war in yeah, you know, no Oz. and turned into the O Z. Yeah,
2: there's no way she could have known. And that's that's kind of the saddest part of the story to me, is yeah. that Grandma Dorothy still has these memories of Oz and she, for all she knows, they're all living their lives super happy. And, and the fact that she has inadvertently caused so much pain. Um in that regard, it's it's almost a mercy that she doesn't have that she doesn't have memories, uh, you know that 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 she is battling Alzheimer's, because yeah. I think that 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 knowledge I think otherwise might break her.
1: Yeah, it it would it would really you know break her heart, and you can tell that you know you can actually tell that she obviously didn't have like a any intention to cause a power vacuum, you know, aside from not knowing and. You know, you can tell by like how she still remembers Toto. I mean, that was one of the scenes that almost brought a tear to my eye because it reminded me of my grandma. You know, right? And how we, yeah. you know, we used to watch Wizard of Oz, and it was like, you know, she was asking, you know, current Dorothy, um, like, can you feed Toto? And she was, and Dorothy's like, wait a minute, Toto's dead. You know? Yeah. And she was like, okay, but you know, to sleep some food out for him, he'll come. You know, and it was just like, wow. And, you yeah. know that right there is just uh, I think it's also a sign too that she's better off remembering the the good times rather than the bad because like you said if she was to see what was going on right now, it w- it would go into her a tailspin. She would be horrified like oh I did that you know
2: right yeah absolutely no I I that's yeah um so thankfully thankfully uh, thankfully Grandma Dorothy will not have to confront. Uh, the horrors of the OZ and that instead uh, her, her granddaughter who's a little bit better equipped will, uh, will get to face it in her stead.
1: Yeah. And, you know, actually, you know, I discussed earlier too, that, you know, I really like the art in this story. I think it was done by, if I remember the name correctly, I think his name was um, Uh, Ruben Rojas. Ruben Rojas.
2: Yeah. Um, The art is just amazing. Uh, Ruben's terrific. Yeah, uh, you know Ruben Rojas and our colorist Whitney Kogar—they're um, a real dream team. Um, they are—they are—they are, they are, uh, they are a, a match made in heaven. Um, I found Ruben on Twitter actually. Uh, he was answering a call for artists in uh, 2018, and I was really just kind of blown away by how talented he was. He's got a style that's very much uh, equal parts uh, Dan Mora and Sean Murphy, and yeah. Uh, He's such a talented designer, um, the way that he, he he lends so much detail to the characters and, and the settings. Um, you know, when we were working on our pitch pages together just to make sure it was a, it was a good fit between us, um, I saw Ruben's main cover, uh, which is up on the Kickstarter page. And I was so blown away by his work that I said, Ruben, keep working. I promise you, Compeller High Water, I will make this book happen. And so, uh, yeah, you don't... Making sure that we have the right team uh, was really important. Uh, you know, our letter D.C. Hopkins, uh, is really terrific. Um, uh, you know, he, he was recommended to me by my buddy, uh, Michael Mokio. And uh, D.C. is just such a, a, a generous collaborator. Um, he's really always considerate of how, you know, his, his work impacts anybody else's and is very patient and, 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 and good, good-hearted. Uh, so I, I really enjoy working with him. And then Whitney is kind of our secret weapon. Um, you know, I, I was ta- I was taught at DC that art makes or breaks your book. The colors make or break your art. And so... Uh, wow, it's it was, like a
1: domino effect.
2: Yeah, it, it, I've, I, I, I always consider it very important to find the right colorist for the right uh, artist. And, um, you know, Whitney, uh, you, you might be familiar with her work uh, uh, on the Eisner Award winning Giant Days. Um this is something unlike anything that she's done before uh but she just knocks it out of the park. Uh, we talked a lot about sort of what the Mad Max version of Star Wars might look like. Yeah. Uh, just to get that kind of intensity and that grit but also um maintaining that sense of scale and wonder just like Star Wars, you know, you can you immediately know Tatooine versus Hoth versus Dagobah versus yeah. Cloud City. Um It's the same thing in the Land of Oz, you know, the the bombed out Emerald City versus the Deadly Desert versus the Mountaintops of Ix versus, um, uh, you know, the Wicked Witch's Castle. All these different locations have their own very unique palettes and vibes and temperatures and internal high concepts and obstacles to overcome. And I think that kind of helps really maintain the scope and stakes of this book. Uh, because we're I think we're we're acutely aware from the jump that it's not just Dorothy fighting for herself but she's fighting for an entire world and and everyone in it and I think that 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 really raises the uh the scale of our story accordingly
1: that's really awesome and one of my favorite actually one of my my favorite splash page would be like the bombed out emerald city it was just like wow like sure. the girl just running on that yellow brick road, yeah. like the same road that Dorothy, Grandma Dorothy, walked on with the Tin Man, Scarecrow, and the Cowardly Lion, mm-hmm. and uh, just mm-hmm. like them having a good time. But it needs to see that it's like, damn, you know?
2: Yeah, it's it's you know, uh, Oz is is seen better days, and uh, so it's, it's uh, we're gonna we're gonna get get to explore why that is and and how it got there.
1: And like oh and I have to you know tell you man like the, the one of my favorite pieces of art is the monk' the flying monkeys with the little army helmets on there mm-hmm.
2: yeah the flying monkeys you know they, they, they answer to neither uh, gravity nor Darwin nor the Geneva conventions and so they are yeah. they are, they are dangerous and uh, Dorothy will certainly have her hands full uh, dealing with them uh, in this series
1: well, they're going to, you know, I mean, they're especially if they're probably descendants of the original mo- monkeys that, you know, attacked her grandmother, they're probably going to be in for a rude awakening with this Dorothy. It's like, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah this, is, this is not some wide eyed Kansas girl that's going to get uh, pushed around. Um, the land of Oz has teeth and so does our new Dorothy. And uh, I promise she's not afraid to use them. Oh,
1: no. It's amazing though i mean like this you know especially when i read the part about her you know about to commit suicide that was another powerful scene too and like
2: yeah we, you know we, we we wanted to make it we, we we talked a lot about that scene to make sure that it was not that it was not um ever seen as you know exploitive or romanticizing suicide that's that's obviously no, no.
1: suicide's not yeah <laughs>
2: um and so yeah we we uh we, we we worked really hard to, to, to portray that in a way that felt sensitive, that didn't kind of grind your face into it, um, and, uh, you know, would still kind of convey the heaviness of the scene and, and where Dorothy's uh, headspace was at, um, showing that she really was at rock bottom, and uh, and then showing that, you know, once she's in the O.Z., there's nowhere for her to go but up.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really... Yeah, that's really true. I mean, like definitely. Um, and she she does go up when the tornado takes her in that little Humvee of hers or that truck, it looks like.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, yep, it's only it's only gonna it's only gonna get uh, crazier from there. Wow, the Tin Soldier.
1: This is a, it's really good. Ruben Rojas, man. I mean, it's no wonder why he won the Eisenhower Award for. You know, he was, it's no wonder why he won the Eisner for his art. I mean, it's it's just amazing. And of course, you got the lettering too and then like the color the colors to wow. You, you got a fan, man.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh no, Rubens Rubens terrific and 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 Whitney just kind of, you know, uh uh takes them to the next level and yeah I, you know we i think we kind of work in a, in a really positive feedback loop and we all kind of egg each other on and i think that's really the, the 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 best way for us to do our work
1: that's awesome now um i also want to talk about the character dorothy it seems like um she looks like she's um she doesn't look like your typical dorothy obviously um soldier she looks mm-hmm. like she might be of uh, I wonder if she's
2: of mixed race if you don't know yeah. mind asking yeah i know we we want, we wanted to make sure that 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 uh that dorothy was a character of color and i i think that was that was important to me yeah. i felt like um you know this is a conversation i've had going back to the uh, original spencer and Locke, where my artist uh Jorge santiago jr he rightly brought up he said you know do you think we should make detective Locke a character of color and we had a long conversation about it, and we, we ultimately opted not to because we were dealing with themes of child abuse and childhood trauma, and we knew that if we had made him a character of color, it would have shifted wildly into inappropriate stereotype. And would have completely, it would have completely messed up the message that we were trying to convey with that book. But that's a conversation that I always have every with every book I'm working on, as I say to myself, is this a book that we could have headlined by uh, a person of color, um, a woman, or or someone non-binary, um, anyone uh, 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 of the LGBTQ community? Um, my thought is is that if it's not if it's not um, veering into stereotype, then the question becomes, well, why wouldn't you? You know, I think it makes I think representation it, it, it makes moral sense. I think it makes creative sense. If you want to be a shark about it, it even makes business sense. Um, and so I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a straight white guy. Uh, you know, I'm Jewish, but that doesn't really count here in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like with, with that all said, it's kind of my responsibility to make my characters diverse and have my teams be diverse. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that's that's kind of the least I can do. Um, and I think it ultimately makes our, our, our stories better and, and more accessible to, to, to an even wider audience.
1: Amazing. That's awesome. So, um, looks like, so for the Kickstarter, it looks like, um, you're, again, you're beyond your goal and actually looks like, wow, (laughs) 34,000 right now. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So um I was just going to ask about the pledges and all that or the support on the Kickstarter. Sure. So it looks like so right now people you know if you um pledge um 10 it looks like if you pledge $10 or I mean at least 5 you can get like a digital copy of the comic.
2: So uh so yeah so for uh, for $5 you get um you get a PDF of the first issue of Spencer and Locke and the first issue of Going to the Chapel just as a thank you. Um, we wanted to make sure that everybody felt like they were getting some value for the book. Uh, once you hit $10, then you, you get a PDF of the first issue of the OZ as well. Um, and so that's 88 pages straight from me. you also get a copy of my script. Um, we've all already unlocked our digital comics extravaganza. So you're going to get PDFs from a dozen other creators as well, people like Justin Jordan and Frank Gogol and Ryland Grant and uh, Kevin Eastman, uh, the co-creator of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, they've all thrown in uh, books, and that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, and then, yeah, as you sort of go up further, uh, you know, in, in the pledges, we've got uh, four different covers uh, to, to to choose from. Uh, you know, by by a real murderers row of talent. Uh, we've also got a deal where you can get all four covers for the price of three. Um, and then we've got deals involving my other trade paperbacks uh, for Spencer and Locke, Spencer and Locke Two, and Going to the Chapel. We've got um, a Dorothy design sketch card. Um, uh, by Ruben Rojas that features his original design for Dorothy. Uh, We've also got, uh, we have one Skype session left with me um, where you can talk about, uh, you know, you can show, I can review your pitch or we can talk about Kickstarter or we can talk about uh, publicity or we can talk about navigating Hollywood. Um, You can kind of set the agenda. Um, You know, last but not least uh, for our Spencer and Locke fans, we've got a real piece of history. Um, people asked me for a long time, are you ever going to do Spencer and Locke plushies? And uh, we actually, we had 10 handmade plushies as a thank you gift for my creative team uh, for getting that first volume done. And uh, we mm-hmm. have two left. So it's, that's, it's kind of a piece of history. Um, our, our doll maker is no longer in the game. So this is it. Um, <laughs> what we have is what we got. So um, for any Spencer and Locke super fans who, who want a, a Spencer doll of their own, this is the only way you're going to get it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I try to make it, you know, I I want to make sure that readers felt like they were getting bang for their buck, that they didn't feel like they were, um, you know, being taken for a ride. And, um, we try to open it up to every level of of budget. So whether you're willing to, to to throw in $10 or you want to throw in a hundred dollars, there's something for everybody here. And, um, you know, ultimately, I just want to invite more people to the table. I just want to build a wider consensus. Um, I want to make it very clear that, like, even with our funding being the way it is, I'm still not lining my pockets with this because we've got 140 pages worth of story to pay for and print and that and and ship. And so, believe you me, they there, I'm not, I'm not getting rich off this book. Um, but ultimately my goal is i just want as many people as humanly possible to read it and uh so i i uh I, I appreciate everybody who helps us spread the word and tells their friends and backs us uh because yeah we want we want our emerald army to grow strong totally man
1: totally well that's gonna wrap it up for um this um, segment for the earth 16 um podcast um and um, I was wondering,
2: um, David, where can we find you on social media? Sure. Well, uh, you, can, you can follow The OZ uh, uh, at The OZ Comic on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can go to bit.ly slash The OZ Comic to go straight to our Kickstarter page. You can follow me um, on uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram at PeposD. It's my last name, first initial, or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. And last but not least, you can subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly Slash Pep News,
1: awesome, and um, totally awesome, and um, of course, um, everyone you know me. You can always follow me on the Earth Sixteen Podcast. Um, on you can always follow me on Twitter at Earth Sixteen podcasts You can go to my blog at Earth Sixteen Comics Wire blog, and my Facebook at Earth Sixteen Comics Wire, and Instagram Earth Sixteen Comics Wire, um, as well. And for all for all the latest updates. So any last thoughts, Dave, David, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, you know, thank you so much for having me and, you know, for everyone listening, thank you for, for your time and for considering the OZ, uh, you know, this is Kickstarter. so every backer matters, uh, every dollar counts. And, you know, we've worked really hard to make sure that not only we're we giving readers bang for their buck, but that we're, uh, we're telling a story that is, is, is uh, full of action and adventure, but it's still kind of rooted in a, in a very human core. Uh, if you like Mad Max, if you like The Old Guard, if you like Fables, you're going to love this book. If you like my previous work on Spencer and Locke, I think you're really going to dig it as well. Um, you may think you know the story of Oz, but this is the story of what comes next. So uh, join us, become a Yellow Brick Road Warrior today, and join us in the trenches of the O.Z.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much um, for our, um, coming on the podcast, and thank you everyone else for listening. Um, I was actually scrolling through the pages. If you saw me on the stream, I, miss, I was just enjoying, you know, just looking at all of this. Um, so, thank you so much, everyone, for um, listening and watching. And as I always say, stay every so awesome. This is Brian from Mert Sixteen, signing out.